Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. Alex Wolf has the day off, so I will be joined by the great Benji Ridholtz, one of the smartest, brightest Knicks beat writers out there, covers the team for the Strickland, does some great film breakdowns on Twitter as well. And today he is joining me to talk one of his all-time favorites. It's Obi Toppin Day on Locked On Knicks. That's right, we go deep on everything Obi, his early struggles in the season. What was the reason for them, how he turned things around and peaked during the playoffs and what his future ultimately is on the team. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, your favorite daily New York Knicks podcast. If not, we're just like anyone else. And today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. So stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. I am Gavin Shaw, a resumed semi-successful professional play-by-play broadcaster. Alex Wolf is finishing up a vacation in upstate New York. So I am joined by one of the greats, Benji Ritholtz, contributor at the Strickland. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Ritholtz underscore MBA. Benji, what's up? Welcome back to the pod. How's it going? Are, are you excited to talk about uh, one of your favorites in this player review? I'm so excited. Obi, Obi Toppin was uh, was my maybe maybe my greatest focus over the season. I just found him to be a fascinating study in uh, player development and player fit. Um, in team context, uh, it was all, it was a really fascinating up and down season for, uh, for our maybe first or second favorite rookie. And, uh, I, I enjoyed covering him a ton. I wrote a lot about him. So yeah, I'm super excited to, to, to discuss him and thank you for having me on to do so. Yeah, of course, man. So let's, let's get right into it. Uh, OB, obviously the eighth pick in the draft, not without some controversy. There were a lot of people, myself included, who felt very unhappy about it in the moment and were like, okay, this is just a CAA thing. This is a Leon Rose connection thing. This, this was not a forward thinking pick. And the early returns on OB basically were, were, uh, justification for anyone who held that opinion. He looked like he could not create his own offense in any facet. The three point shot did not translate. And it, it was just, it was real, real ugly for him outside of the occasional lob or, or transition pass or finish on the offensive end. Defensively, he was shockingly competent from game one. And obviously he was in a situation playing with the bench, playing very limited minutes where, where he was somewhat protected and insulated on that end of the floor. So it was hard to tell how much of it was real and how much of it was just sort of small sample size. Teams aren't really going after him, yada, 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 yada. Um, but overall, very weird start on both ends. And then, as there are with a lot of rookies, there were these highs and lows throughout the year where, where he showed flashes of having a, a lot of success and really putting things together. And then other times where his three-point shot seemed like it, it might concuss Spike Lee and, and permanently send him out of the garden. 
Um, <laughs> uh, vacillations in, in all types of ways. Come playoff time, he he performs exceptionally well for the most part. Had his game of the season, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more in a bit, against the Hawks in game four with 13 points in 19 minutes. Finished the year averaging four points, two boards, 0.5 assists on 50% from the field, 31% from three, 73% from the line, had a negative 1.7 net rating. So Benji, with all that background, uh, where, where do you want to start? Well, I, I guess I guess we'll, we'll do it chronologically. What were what were your early thoughts on Obi? And were you like me, where you were sort of sweating it out and saying, "Oh God, this they really they really bungled this one." Yes, uh, I, I think any uh, honest observer of his, I would say, you know what. I, I, there's a there's a pre Derrick Rose Obi Toppin and there's a post Derrick Rose Obi Toppin, uh, which is an, an interesting part of his first year. Certainly pre Derrick Rose Obi Toppin um, often looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, the polished offensive game that we were basically promised, you know, one of the older guys in the draft, um, you know, ready made to uh, to to contribute offensively elite athleticism, all of that um, wasn't really showcased early on. And that was extremely troubling because uh, while he was competent defensively and surprisingly so, uh, it was very clear from the outset and from everything we were told, and if you scouted him at all in college, that in order for to be a productive NBA player, he was going to have to be a very good offensive NBA player and just hopefully improve to uh, you know, a, a decent defender. I mean, we're not talking about a necessarily a very high defensive ceiling when it comes to OB. And so, yeah, the, the, the early returns on the offense, the way it didn't seem like he was all that much more athletic than anybody who was guarding him, like that didn't really leap off the screen, at least initially, certainly from the early part of the season. And while there were a couple, as you mentioned, you know, highlight dunks, uh, those were kind of more where he was, you know, he got a head start, he was open, he was open for a lob. I mean, we're, we're not talking about like blow-by dunks or, or jumping over people necessarily. And that was kind of what we were expecting. So uh, I couldn't agree more. And I was also sweating it early. And not to say that we're uh, out of the woods yet. It was still, um, it wasn't uh, a particularly promising rookie year as a whole, but the playoff performance uh, raised our hopes considerably. Yeah, so he, to me, the biggest thing early on, that, that really terrified me. He looked like the quintessential, like, college player of the year. And, like, not not one of, like, the super freshmen, like the Zion Williamsons and the Anthony right. Davises of the right. world. But kind of more in the in the Frank Kaminsky mold, the guy we were just talking about a little bit uh, pre-podcast, who's now all of a sudden going to be playing a significant role in the NBA <laughs> Finals. So a chance for him to reverse this narrative. But, but the guy who stays in college too long, obviously in Obi's case, it was just his second year. But he was as old as someone who had stayed in college for all four years um, and just dominated by being like older and more physically developed and, and a game that worked on the college level and was antiquated in the NBA. And, and then the fact that the one thing he, he sort of had going for him in college was um, like this multifaceted pick and roll game. And because of Julius Randle's breakout, we didn't really get to see that in his speed to the rim and his diving that made him so unstoppable on that Dayton team that had a lot of shooting, a lot of passing was completely absent on the Knicks. And and then he tried to adjust by saying, all right, the one thing I can do one-on-one because I'm not really, I don't have the handle to beat people. I don't have the shot to really get people to 
um, like commit if, if I make a pump fake or, or give me leverage to drive by them. I'm just going to try bullying people. And it turns out he, he just did not have the necessary lower body strength, despite looking like an Adonis, to really bully anyone, including guys like Duncan Robinson, where he would just get absolutely stood up trying to just elbow his way to the basket and would end up throwing up these insane awkward shots that like maybe the one good thing is like a, a disproportionate amount of those went in but it was ugly ugly stuff and in my mind I was just thinking we're looking at a player who has no conceivable avenue to ever create his own offense and that was melodramatic it was a good it was a good lesson for me on how much context shapes limited players and and how much getting someone like Derek Rose can change things but Benji I'll, I'll leave that to you what what happened with him when Derrick Rose came in it, it felt like all of a sudden he was he was kind of a different guy all right guys it's about that time let's take our first break and tell you about this week's Michelob Ultra player of the week so I'm going to do something I've never done on this show and go outside of the Knicks for the Michelob Ultra player of the week that's right your Michelob Ultra player of the week is Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns a masterful game one performance against the Milwaukee Bucks, guiding Phoenix to victory with his guile, with his pick-and-roll mastery, with his shot-making, with his passing, with his little general-style direction, and yes, even with his floppiness. 12 of 19 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, a perfect 4 for 4 from the line on the way to that 32-point, 9-rebound, 4-assist performance, and... You know what? The emotions that he brought me both in that game one and the game six earlier in the week against the Clippers, man, I'd have to say joy, happiness, and just enjoyment to be experiencing this with my friends who throughout college I went to a whole lot of Suns games with and and watched them be the worst team in the league, kind of the same struggles I've gone through with these Knicks. And uh, yeah, now I'm just I'm just happy to watch. So it's only worth it if you enjoyed. And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, Michelob Ultra always is. Remember, joy creates success. And Chris Paul, after after a brutal playoff career, is finally learning that enjoyment isn't the end game; it's the whole game. All right, guys, we are about to be back with Benji. But just a reminder that today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Now let's get back into it with Benji Ritholtz. Yeah, well, to, you know, I'll get to, I'll get to that, but you know, just to jump on something that you said, uh, and I came on my first appearance on this podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe in January or so. You know, the one thing that, despite all of the negative signs that we've already discussed, um, was that. You, Knicks fans could always rely, always kind of go back to the fact that the fit was so poor from the outset. And you mentioned Julius's um, emergence, obviously positionally and the way Tibbs wants to play with a true center at all times. And that became even a hotter topic as Obi um, actually flourished come playoff time and Tibbs still wouldn't really play them together. Um, but ob- just in terms of the minutes that were available, they were so low. We didn't get to get in any kind of rhythm, didn't get the time to develop as most rookies do, certainly have lottery picks do. Um, and he was playing at an at a, at a extremely slow pace, which doesn't favor him at all to display his athleticism in transition, something that he does better than any Nick probably on the whole roster this past season, just in terms of running down court and opening up lanes in transition for others. If, even if he doesn't receive the ball, they were playing at a snail's pace. Um, 
And so you kind of always went back to that as the season was going and you were seeing these struggles. You're like, yes, but he's literally in the worst possible situation. Um, he doesn't get to roll to the rim, which was advertised as his greatest skill. We're talking about the guy who was compared to Amari Stoudemire, the, one of the greatest rollers in the history of the NBA. And he, uh, he never got to roll. He was popping on most of his screens all season long. Um, and so this was kind of what was going through my head watching him was, you know, yeah, it doesn't look good, but at the same time, how could it look good? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's being utilized in the worst possible way. Um, and then to get to your, to your, to your next question. Yeah. Then Derek Rose comes in, um, and first of all, quickens the pace significantly, um, which just helped him a ton, uh, to start to, you know, get the easy buckets in transition. Um, kind of trying to seal early in transition, getting easy baskets. Obviously, the lobs helped a lot, and just the general, just the increase in pace really helped. Uh, really helped him get into a, a better flow. And then, you know, we're, uh, you mentioned before, he's not someone yet, at least, who can really create his own offense in terms of isolations. Um, and so, he's going to need to rely on point guard play to a, to a large degree. And prior to Derrick Rose, well, uh, the Knicks' point guard play was probably indisputably the worst in the league. Um, yeah, that's fair. Between Alfred Payton and, and Emmanuel Quickly, who has you know been wonderful, was a wonderful rookie, but um, just in terms of being a, a point guard who could get others involved, that wasn't his strength early, and that's something he's going to continue to work on. But there's a reason the Knicks brought in a point guard so that Quickly could play more off-ball. Um, and so... Rose's the acquisition of Derrick Rose just opened up his whole game in a way that wasn't available uh, prior. Yeah, and I think I, I think we saw a lot of that come playoff time. I mean, I mean, on all these counts, like all the different areas, we're talking about how he got better. And I'm going to focus in specifically on that game four against the Hawks again. But it was pretty clearly his game of the year, and it featured like a number of of little moments that to me, sort of pinpointed all the areas that he really improved. So I'll, I'll let you expand on these in, in a more macro sense. But just looking at this one game, there, there was there's a play where he ran pick and roll with, I believe it was, I believe it was D-Rose. It might have been quickly. Um, and he didn't get the pass. And that happened to him a lot this season, usually because there, there was a center uh, right around the basket, either Nerlens or Mitch or Taj. And inevitably, the point guard would be like, oh, man, I'd love to throw you a lob, Obi, but there's, there, there's a giant waiting to uh, to throw you to the ground if I do. Um, but instead of pouting, instead of just kind of clearing out, he, he smartly sort of leveraged it to get an early box out on Kevin Herter, who was trailing him on the play, ended up with Obi getting a tip. And oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just I was agreeing with you. And, I, and you're bringing that play. I, I'm reminded of the play and I loved it um, because there are... Um... There are multiple ways to, to punish a switch or to punish a, a rotation when a small ends up on you. And one of them is, especially again, with the Knicks roster that's still, uh, even you know, post Derrick Rose, is not filled with very good passers, is not filled with very good lob passers, and something that, that hurt Obi throughout the year. Um, and so his ability to, right, to seal off a small guy like Herder on that play, and, and, and it, was a great, it was a great moment for him, and, just, and punish him on the glass, uh, that was very encouraging. And it was representative of something that he didn't only do in the half court, but constantly did in transition where he would run the floor extremely hard. And maybe once a game that would result in a lob for him. I mean, especially more so towards the second half of the year when, to your mm-hmm. point, Tibbs and, and 
and the Knicks front office presumably read your article on, on the team increased the pace and said, you know what, this 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 Benji guy, he has he's, this is a pretty good idea here. Started doing that and and took off offensively in the second half of the year. But but he consistently ran the floor, and even when he didn't get the ball, it would inevitably open up a lane for like a secondary guy to cut in and get an easy basket. Like I, I was inspired just watching the, the Euros today in soccer with England, and I was like, oh, this is what Obi was doing all all season. Guys are running, and even if they're not the ones who get the pass. It, it's all about opening up the next pass and, and, and getting someone else the ball in a good position. In, in a way, I wish there was a way to, to categorize that with some kind of assist because that's essentially what you were doing. And it, it's those little things on the margin where, where you have a lot of faith and it'll be like one, just from a personality perspective that he was willing to put in that kind of effort. And, and two, the basketball IQ to say, I'm going hard here, not, not just to show off that I'm working hard, but because I know if I don't get the ball, someone else is going to benefit for me running. But I, I'm going to quickly just get into two more of these. Um, had had a rare pick and roll with Derrick Rose. And I remember being slack-jawed, Benji, watching this live, where he actually, where Rose just, he, he like immediately like toasted Gallinari, who kind of went to just double Rose. And Gallo was able to do that because Nerlens was was sort of just lurking in the dunker spot. And Capella, of course, ignoring Nerlens, who played the whole series uh, semi-hobbled, uh, just said, screw that. I'm I'm going to deal with Obi. Obi catches, goes right into Capella's body, uh, finishes with an up and under layup. Really impressive stuff. And, and just gives you a flash of, I mean, if teams are going to put someone like Gallo on him, if, if the Knicks are willing to go small in that situation, I, I mean, maybe maybe Gallo will, will or, or the equivalent of him, is going to torch Obi on the other end. But you're going to score a whole lot of points running Obi pick and rolls because there just aren't a lot of, I, I mean, a lot of at least like traditional power forwards in the league who can keep up with them on those types of plays. Certainly not a lot of centers who can keep up with him on those types of plays. And then the final one was, I would argue, maybe his non-dunk offensive player of the year. He caught the ball in the right corner versus Gallinari, um, did sort of a, a rip-through move going right behind his back as if he was going to retreat and pull out to the perimeter. Kind of slowed down, little cat-and-mouse game. Gallinari, you could see he relaxes, and the second he relaxed, Obi pulled out his favorite move, which is uh, what I call, and I think other people I've seen call it, a ghost dribble handoff where you run the dribble handoff where, where the guy doesn't actually take the ball. This, this is what I would call like an extreme ghost dribble handoff because literally um, Emmanuel quickly, when he, when he did the fake, was probably four feet away from him. So there's just no chance he could do it. But regardless, Gallo bit on it. Uh, Obi got a step, finished with like a nifty little up and under at the rim. And, and, and again, representative, I, I think I think that play to me like epitomizes both like the promise and the pitfall of Obi. Like that craftiness w- was really impressive, like the smarts to even think to do that in that situation, the patience to pull it off, the athleticism around the hoop to finish nicely, but then just how convoluted the effort was to get by a defender like Danilo Gallinari was also like a little disheartening. I'm like, oh God, shouldn't it be like he's, he's 22 years old. He's like allegedly the best half in the draft. Shouldn't he have just kind of blown by him on that rip through? But I, I don't know, Benjio, what did you think about that play? What did you think about the game as a whole? What did you think about any of the themes that I brought up? I'll, I'll leave it pretty open-ended. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our second and final break and remind you, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news sign-up bonuses, and contest info. 
Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their run to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions? Is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? I don't know, Jeff. That's why I'm here. And <laughs> Wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer. Choose the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You don't want that. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket, so you can save time and money. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more from the same for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership. For an example, a Hyundai Odyssey fuel pump could be as high as, I don't know, $353 from a chain store. It's just $216 at Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solutions to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Now, without further ado, let's get back into it for one final segment with Benji Ritholtz. Yeah, first of all, I love that you brought up um, his attitude, um, which I think, you know, it's, I think it's important to, to commend a person for, you know, going through what he went through this year with a really, really high draft pedigree and a lot of expectations and obviously New York being what it is in terms of the media and everything else. Um, even if tempered a little bit by the uh, the COVID impacted season, but this is you know you, you certainly could see him lose his confidence at times. Certainly, you know during his uh, six game uh, scoreless streak, which happened at some point mid season, you could just see the shoulders start to sag a little bit on the court. But that's understandable. But in terms of his effort, uh, in terms of the way he interacted with teammates, at least you know that we could visibly see like that stuff never seem to be impacted and that's really impressive and that obviously only bodes well um it's not going to do much if he doesn't improve as a player but it's still you know it's still uh necessary if not sufficient i suppose um and in terms of the game in terms of that move and in terms of the game so so obi needs to be uh rolling screening and rolling to be effective i think that is clear and when he's done that and had the opportunity to do it to be the primary screener in the offense I think he's looked really good. His activity level, uh, just the speed at which he goes from from screen to screen, um, if you allow him to be kind of around those elbows, running those dribble handoff plays and the ghost handoff that you mentioned, and that was kind of the, the, the best version of it maybe was, was that play that you're, that you're referencing. Um, I think he's actually really, really good. He's a really good roller. And, uh, you know, I was looking, you know, at some numbers before I got on here and uh, B-Ball Index puts together kind of a percentage of times when a player screens that he rolls, pops, or slips. Um, so disturbingly, Obi Toppin over the regular season this year rolled on 19% of screens and he popped on 81% of screens. Wow, that's a great stat. So that gives you a really strong sense of how misused he was. Um, and again, we're talking about a guy who, and as he displayed in that game, 
his best skill is going to be rolling to the rim. And he did it on, on just 19% of his screens during the regular season. And he look, they basically made him into a stretch four, which was not good for him. I mean, he's popping on 81%. He only hit 31% of his threes. Encouraging maybe because I think early on it looked really ugly. I think it improved slightly during the year. There were still a lot of air balls and ugly ones, especially from the corners. Um, but, you know, a first year, a rookie shooting 31% from the – from that three point from the new three point line in the NBA, there's no reason not to think he can't improve to 35, 36, 37% even next year. And who knows going forward? I mean, the, the form isn't bad. I mean, it's a bit higher than you'd like, maybe a little bit slower than you like, but that's stuff that he can work on. Um, but all this stuff is, you know, th- this should be the stuff that's rounding out his game, but the bread and butter of his game should have always been attacking the rim on screen and rolls. He didn't get to do it at all. Um, so you hope that you know, this, this season kind of rounding out the rougher edges of his game. Hopefully now they understand that uh, in order for him to really excel, they're going to have to put him in position to do so. Uh, and maybe he's now improved kind of the other ends of his game and to be a popping threat um, that can help him out, obviously. And, and those things um, play off of each other. If you're a better popper and you're more of a threat to shoot, then the role game opens up even more. And um, hopefully that's the case, but um that those percentages kind of really jumped out at me as shocking, a shocking uh, split between rolling and popping. That that if you want this guy, you're the guy you invested your high lottery pick in to succeed, then you, you have to change that as an organization. And that's that's a scheme thing. That's not on him. I, I also think rolling could potentially unlock his his short roll passing a little bit and just unlock his passing in general because we we know that's a quality of his. I mean, from his time at Dayton that is at a relatively high level for his position. We saw him, I, I don't remember the exact context, but I, rem, I remember early in the season, he threw like a 60 foot lead pass to RJ on an yeah. absolute dime. And, and you could see the, you can see the vision obviously as the willingness. He has the basketball IQ to do it. The issue is offensively. He's, I mean, it's what we've talked about this entire podcast. He's just never in an advantage situation where he can actually throw it to someone because, because basically like if he's isolating, it means literally no one else is opening because nobody's ever going to double team. So that, that, that pick and roll game could be an avenue to create it. My, my dream for this team is, I mean, is obviously like the, the ready-made version would be if they somehow traded for Damian Lillard and kept Obi, which maybe that's the advantage of, of his somewhat disappointing rookie season is that something like that would be feasible. Um, and you're just, you're just basically using him as like the Draymond to Dame Steph and he's, he's setting screens and rolling from, 35 feet out, you kind of have to, I mean, or a lot of teams are going to decide to like trap Dame in that situation, pass it to Obi. All of a sudden you, you have a four on three going downhill with a whole lot of speed, the threat that he's going to use that nuclear athleticism and just take off to the rim um, or, or whip it to the corners, which I think he's more than capable of doing. Maybe the more realistic version of that is if Emmanuel quickly continues to develop and we already saw him present the threat of, of being a super deep three-point shooter, which I think is a quality you really need to maximize someone like Obi Toppin and pick and roll. Um, I don't know. To me, that, that, that could potentially be an interesting avenue to, to showcase his passing. Yeah, his pa- I agree that he's his passing uh, again underutilized, but is was impressive. The the few times you kind of got you got to see him display it was actually when teams played zone, and he would get some time flashing to the middle, and he actually made a few great reads over the course of the regular season. Whether it was a lob to the to the big uh, in the dunker spot, or whether it was a, a flash or a pass to the corner, uh, that's kind of the you know approximation against the zone of a short roll against a man that he was able to to make the right pass pretty consistently. 
uh, and in transition as well. I, I know exactly the pass you're, you're discussing. It was actually maybe the first game of the season against Indiana, or very early against Indiana, that he made that pass to RJ um, in transition, which again uh, was uh, too rare an opportunity for him uh, with this team. But um, I, I, yeah, I mean, again, then that's gonna it's gonna require a a reimagining of his role in the offense, and whether that means, and I'm sure we'll get to this. Uh, the extent to which he has to play more at the five um, or whether that means when he plays with fives, uh, depending on who is on the roster next year. I mean, certainly Mitch will, will be there. So that's not a guy who can really do much other than roll. So if he's playing with Mitch, then that's going to be difficult to kind of figure that out. But if he's playing with a guy like Taj Gibson or a free agent to be named later or a draft pick to be named later, whoever the, that center is, the backup center that he's more likely to play more minutes with, um, again, if we're not willing to play him at the five, um, can that other center do something else so that Obi can be a roller, whether it's st- standing in the corner and Taj Gibson is capable of at least shooting that corner three or standing there at the very least to allow Obi to, uh, some space to roll? Um, uh, or can it be you know someone who can actually demand some attention at the dunker spot? Like Clint Capella was able to ignore our centers at the dunker spot entirely because they're not very good finishers. Certainly Nerlens Noel with no hands and hobbled. Uh, Capella could totally ignore him. Mitch is a different story where at least you have to respect his lob threat so you can't just utterly ignore him. Um, and even that could help. But just finding ways to allow him to screen and roll is obviously going to be key to his sophomore season and what he can do and how he can improve. We, we, we talked about schematic changes, but is there like some micro skill you see that he really needs to work on or improve offensively outside of his shooting. Like I, I think, I think the handle is probably the most obvious part. But sometimes I don't know if that's a case of like asking someone to do too much, and or whether he's he's almost just better off being the best version of himself. Like developmentally, obviously a very different case scenario, and a guy with a much higher ceiling and a, and a much better talent. But someone like DeAndre Ayton, I think, is a good example of like I mean, people early in his career because he was taking all these long twos. We're saying, all right, he has to shoot threes. Like, like ultimately, that's going to be how he hits the ceiling. And instead, him hitting his ceiling was just sort of doubling down on what he was already good at coming into the league and taking advantage of his physical gifts and and, and running to the rim hard and and rebounding with physicality and and, and being multiple and, and and versatile on defense. So, with Obi, do you see there if there is there one thing offensively you're focused on and saying like this is just something he has to add to his game in year two, or or do you think it's more so? what we've already talked about and he just has to be utilized in a better fashion to maximize what his actual strengths were coming into the league. Yeah. I've said, I've said throughout the year, I think, I think the handle is the answer and I don't think it's unrealistic. Um, and I, I, it, it'll open up like you can see that he, he, he sees angles and things that he wants to do, but he can't get there, especially because his, especially his left hand dribble is extremely weak. Um, and so when he tries to go into a spin move or he's on the left side and he gets a guy in a pump fake and wants to take it to the rim, but there's a guy trailing on his right hip, there's, he's so limited in how he can attack because he doesn't have any kind of real uh, dribble combos that he can rely on. Um, in attacking a closeout, uh, you know, the play you referenced against, against the Hawks, uh, that fake handoff, uh, some of those dribbles are like so um, loose. <laughs> like he gets there yeah. eventually – but it's 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 not pretty because there's there he's lacking uh, kind of that control that he needs to to make those moves in a more efficient manner. Um, 
I think that's key. I also think that'll help his post-up game. As you mentioned, uh, his body type makes it difficult for him to really back guys down um, with that kind of strange, like really long torso and and and, and the the high center of gravity, you know, if you will. So he has to be able to face up more, I think, and use some quickness and athleticism to get by guys, especially again, hopefully, if he plays a little bit at the five and is and is put up against slower guys, he needs to be able to attack those guys on face ups, face ups. Like that'll help him a ton um, to get some easy looks. So I do think it's the handle. And then, you know, the shooting, you just assume he's obviously going to work on and hopefully improve. Um, no reason to think he, that he can't. And that all, that'll open up the dribble game that we're talking about. If you can, if you can improve that as well. I, I think it's funny because, and I can relate to this because I'm, I'm horrible at dribbling a basketball, but I think some of his best plays on the year came because his handle was so bad and defenders would get baited into like really just swiping <laughs> hard for a steal and he would just sort of go behind his back and, and kind of sneak by a guy because they, they went so hard after his sloppy dribble. So so maybe maybe he, he improves it, but he, he keeps that as, as, a, as a small breaking case of emergency option in his yeah, game. I mean, I, I mean you talked about you talked about Draymond in terms of his ability to to play make as a roller and a, and a dribble handoff guy. Uh, and something that I think is undersold about that you know how he can become the, how he can be that player is he has a really good handle Draymond Green and he yeah. can basically handle it like a guard and his ability to change directions so that he can change the en- angle of the handoff and the screen um and get one side to the other quickly and and that ghost move that we're talking about like the better the handle, the better the control, the more effective those plays are. Uh, and I, I do think that is a key for him um, as, as he goes forward and, and tries to make a real impact on the league. All right, so we, we've kind of danced around it, but the, the, the ultimate question with OB going forward is, what is he on this team? Is he, is he an asset that you eventually include in a package for a star, as is currently being talked about with Damian Lillard? Is he a guy that can play with Julius Randle and, and get some minutes at the five, which, which is something a lot of us were calling for um, against the Hawks? And, and I, I certainly thought, given like the Knicks' limitations throughout their roster, would have made a lot of sense. Or maybe is he just is he just kind of a super good bench guy that like like if he if he hits his ceiling and if the Knicks continue to get better and better and, and surround their their prized pieces, Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, more talent. Maybe his future is playing 15 to 20 minutes a game in the regular season, getting a little bit of time every game with Randall, mostly playing with bench lineups and presumably putting up monster numbers in that kind of situation. Uh, how, how do you see this whole thing sorting out, Benji? Because, I mean, to your previous point last year, it just it didn't. And, and, and look, nobody could have seen what Julius Randall turned into coming, especially with COVID. And like they probably didn't get to work with him in a one on one setting until after the draft. And yet it felt like once Randall broke out, it, it, the default was, all right, OB will just play whenever he's not on the court. And outside of that, he will, he will not play. What do you see his role ultimately be, being going forward in the Knicks organization? Really hard to say because, I mean, obviously it depends on, you know, I guess in this hypothetical, are we assuming that Randall gets the package and he's yeah. here for the, for the future? Okay. So in that case, um, the answer kind of—it's up to Tibbs in a certain sense. Um, you know, if he's—if Obi truly is not going to be able to play center, I mean, it's not all on Tibbs; it's also on him. Um, and we're talking about a guy who is just Julius Randle's backup, and then maybe in the right matchup can play some at the five, which 
I think is at least what they need to do next year is like in the right matchup, he needs to play the five. Like I understand if you don't want to put him up against centers, I can, under, I can understand that. But if you want him to develop at all, he's got to play some five. But anyway, um, if that's the case that he's essentially Julius Randle's backup for the foreseeable future, and we're talking about the Tom Thibodeau team, which means Julius Randle, his star, is going to play 37 minutes a game. And now we're talking about Obi Toppin never really playing any more than 15 minutes a game. Just realistically, like that is yeah. what we're talking about. I, I think it would be foolish from a Knicks perspective, if that's the case, and that's where your organization is at in terms of who Obi is and how you want to play, I think it would be foolish to not think about trying to turn him into something else. As you now are ahead of schedule after this past season, you hope to have similar, if not better, success next season. Um, and Julius Randle's a long-term piece. I mean, you have to be thinking about, you know, the way Obi just played in the playoffs, his stock rose significantly, I would say, I'm sure, around the league. Um, and if he could continue to show some improvements next year, despite maybe a, a suboptimal role on his team, you know, other organizations are smart. They'll say, yeah, but what if he was on our team? What if he was utilized in the right way, right? So you, he could be a better asset than he's showing on the Knicks. I think it would be foolish not to explore that um, if that's what you decide. Now, to me, OB has displayed real rim protection skills. Um, in fact, crazily enough, um, he is opponents shot 53% against him at the rim this year, according to NBA stats. That's like elite. <laughs> that's, that's a number that's like ahead of Joel Embiid. Um, now it's on significantly lower volume and the sample sure. size is pretty small because he didn't play a lot of centers. So he was on the perimeter a lot defensively. Um, but I think we all saw if you're watching him when, when, when he was in the help position and when he got there and when he's, he's contesting at the rim, he is very capable with real length and real, uh, verticality, um, of, of deterring a lot of shots at the rim. He's good at it. And that, 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 you know, that shows that he can, play some center probably and be pre- pretty effective defensively. Um, I think he can play a lot of center. If the organization feels that way and can get him there and Tibbs, you know, Tibbs who, who would play Taj Gibson 48 minutes a night if he could, uh, actually lets him explore that a little bit and get better at it. Um, I think you could, you know, make him into a real, a real force of 25 to 30 minute night, you know, a game guy, if he plays enough, enough center and can play next to Julius enough, obviously offensively, they complement each other wonderfully. Julius, who now can spot up around the perimeter, Obi can take turns rolling when we want, you want Julius to start rolling and not have four bodies in the paint waiting for him. Like you did this year. Well, you get rid of Alfred Payton and you get rid of whoever it is, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel. you add Obi in the corner who you have to at least respect, hopefully more and more as years go on. Well, now you have a really dynamic offensive front court. Um, and I think that would be wonderful. But uh, on the defensive end, that's where the questions come. I think he can do it pretty well. I'm not sure against elite offenses if he can do it well, but certainly you can find enough minutes where he becomes a real impact player. Um, then I think you keep him around and try to develop him. If you're asking me like what I think is going to happen, I think my former scenario is more likely just knowing the coach um, and you know, of all the possibilities of what Obi becomes – I'm not sure he'll ever be like a really good defensive center and, and, and certainly not a starting center. Um, and so my guess would be that at some point he is shipped, sad as it is um, for me to say, because I've really enjoyed watching him and enjoy him as a kind of a character on the team. Um, I do think that's probably the most likely scenario. Just again, if Julius is the future, 
then just positionally, it'll be a difficult fit. Yeah, I think I think that's a fantastic assessment. I think it's a great. I said this coming off the playoffs, so I'll say it again. I think it's a great litmus test for Tibbs whether or not he's he's willing to make that adjustment and at least try him for significant minutes at center and see how it looks. Because I I, I do think offensively, almost irregardless of who the other three guys on the floor are, obviously, like ideally, you're talking like quickly uh like Burks or insert DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry in there or whoever the next sign this offseason RJ Randall and Obi I mean that's that's a five-man unit that could put up I don't know like 110 112 points per 100 possessions like I, I think that they could blow the doors off of people offensively which feels shocking to say given how anemic this team looked the last time we saw them but the whole point there is we we, we did not get to see any lineup resembling that kind of shooting and spacing, but I, I just think Obi is an absolute weapon. And if you play him at the five and and you charge the vast majority of the centers in the league with keeping up with him, they are not going to have a lot of success. And I would be I'd be really intrigued to see him and Mitchell Robinson sort of switch off in that spot because I, I think depending on the matchup, both of them could have a lot of success. And, and I think the right coach and a a, a creative and progressive coach would recognize that. And again, to your point, there's a scenario where Obi playing as a quote-unquote starting center gets absolutely shredded against a lot of teams. Because defensively, as good as he was, there were there were a lot of safeguards in there. And all of a sudden, you'd be removing all of them. You'd be leveling him up a position. Um, obviously, there were matchups like uh, the aforementioned Joel Embiid, where you just you wouldn't even consider it. Um, but there's a world where offensively it's pretty amazing. And to your point and the fantastic stat you had on his rim protection, there's a world defensively where you can hold up. I mean, especially depending on who the other four guys are in that lineup. I think it's a really fascinating hypothetical. And I'm ultimately in agreement with you that I would be, I'd be pleasantly surprised is the nicest way I could say it. If that's the direction Tibbs went, but this whole season was a pleasant surprise on a lot of counts with Tibbs. So you can't count him out and you can't count Obi Toppin out, which I did. And I, I sent I sent a big apology to Obi Toppin and the Toppin family on that front. But Benji Ridholtz, uh, unless you have any final notes, I, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for joining me. And if you want to tell people uh, where they can find all your work. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've taken some time since the season ended. Uh, during the playoffs, I was writing a ton, obviously, and uh, it's been good to take a couple weeks off. But uh, I am on Twitter, um, Ben Ridholtz underscore NBA. Um, Rid Holtzman is, is the name on Twitter. I'm putting stuff out. Even on the finals, I've been, you know, just observing stuff, putting out some clips and analysis. Uh, so check me out there. And all my articles, including one on Obi, which uh, I'll post just because it's uh, pertinent to our conversation here once uh, the podcast comes out. Um, are all found on the Strickland, which is a great website, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, the one, the closing note I would say for Knicks fans is, you know, whether Ob is a long term piece here or not, um, his continued development is uh, is only to the Knicks benefit, whether it's as a as an asset to get something else or whether it's uh, for his own improvement for our team. But uh, um, you know, you hope he gets to play some center and 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 is utilized uh, more to his strengths so that uh, he can maximize himself as, as an asset, as a player, uh, and it can only be good for the Knicks. Yeah, Benji, I, I've said it before, but I, I really, I, I do feel like I learned something new about basketball every single time you come on. So I really, really appreciate it. Again, if, if people also want to learn a thing or two, and, and during the season, I mean, I, I saw other people 
jumped on the trend and started doing it, but you were, you were one of the first to like do really detailed, like play by play breakdowns that again, were, were just really illuminating and, and watching them taught me a little bit more about the Knicks taught me a little bit more about the game. So you can follow along again at Ben Ritholtz underscore MBA last name, R I T H O L T Z. And again, follow along at the Strickland for Benji and a lot of our guests and it's Alex's website. So you're supporting a great cause. Peace out. We'll talk to you soon with our green room pod coming up tomorrow until then be good. Peace out. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.